Hey guys, welcome to another World Audiobook. So happy to have you here. I said last week that we only had like a week or two left on uh, Princess of Mars, but I uh, counted incorrectly or something. Anyway, so um, we'll probably have at least two more weeks after this week of Princess of Mars. So you've got a little bit more time to get in your suggestions for what book you want to hear next on the podcast. We'd love to take your suggestions and we'd love to do whatever book you want to hear next. With that being said, these are shorter episodes and that's just because Another World Audiobooks is a labor of love. I do this in my spare time when I can, and uh, you know, a couple weeks ago I published the episode late just because life happens, uh, but I would like that to change. I would like to be able to do longer episodes for you, more often even, and um, that way I could get through more content, do more books, do all the books that you want to hear. But in order to do that, I'm going to need your help, and the best way to do that is just to spread the word about the podcast. Tell other people that you know about Another World Audiobooks and get them to listen. And the other way, if you want to go a little bit more direct into it, is to just become a supporter of the show. And you can do that through uh, anchor.fm slash anotherworldaudiobooks, where you can just click on support the show. Or you can go uh, down in the show notes of the podcast and buy any of those full audiobooks uh, that you want, and that goes to support the podcast as well and me creating more awesome audiobooks for you. So thanks for listening guys and uh, hope you enjoy this next two chapters of A Princess of Mars Chapter 24 Tars Tarkas finds a friend About noon I passed low over a great dead city of ancient Mars and as I skimmed out across the plain beyond I came upon several thousand green warriors engaged in a terrific battle scarcely had I seen them than a volley of shots was directed at me and with the almost unfailing accuracy of their aim my little craft was instantly a ruined wreck, sinking erratically to the ground. I fell almost directly in the center of the fierce combat, among warriors who had not seen my approach, so busily were they engaged in life and death struggles. The men were fighting on foot with longswords, while an occasional shot from a sharpshooter on the outskirts of the conflict would bring down a warrior who might for an instant separate himself from the entangled mass. As my machine sank among them, I realized that it was fight or die with good chances of dying in any event, and so I struck the ground with a drawn longsword ready to defend myself as I could. I fell beside a huge monster, who was engaged with three antagonists, and as I glanced at his fierce face, filled with the light of battle, I recognized Tars Tarkas of Thark. He did not see me, as I was a trifle behind him, and just then the three warriors opposing him, and whom I recognized as Wahoons, charged simultaneously. The mighty fellow made quick work of one of them, but in stepping back for another thrust, he fell over a dead body behind him, and was down and had the mercy of his foes in an instant. Quick as lightning they were upon him, and Tars Tarkas would have been gathered to his fathers in short order, had I not sprung before his prostrate form and engaged his adversaries. I had accounted for one of them when the mighty Thark regained his feet and quickly settled the other. He gave me one look, and a slight smile touched his grim lip, as, touching my shoulder, he said, I would scarcely recognize you, John Carter, but there is no other mortal upon Barsoom who would have done what you have for me. I think I have learned that there is such a thing as friendship, my friend. He said no more, nor was there opportunity, for the Wahoons were closing in on us, and together we fought, shoulder to shoulder, during all that long, hot afternoon, until the tide of battle turned, and the remnant of the fierce Wahoon horde fell back upon their throats, and fled into the gathering darkness. Ten thousand men had engaged in that titanic struggle, and upon the field of battle lay three thousand dead. Neither side asked or gave quarter, nor did they attempt to take prisoners. On our return to the city after the battle, we had gone directly to Tars Tarkas's quarters, 
where I was left alone while the chieftain attended the customary council, which immediately follows an engagement. As I sat, awaiting the return of the green warrior, I heard something move in an adjoining apartment, and as I glanced up, there rushed suddenly upon me a huge and hideous creature, which bore me backward upon the pile of silks and furs upon which I had been reclining. It was Wula, faithful love and Wula. He had found his way back to Thark, and, as Tars Tarkas later told me, had gone immediately to my former quarters, where he had taken up his pathetic and seemingly hopeless watch for my return. Tal Hajus knows that you are here, John Carter, said Tars Tarkas on his return from the Genax quarters. Sarkoja saw and recognized you as we were returning. Tal Hajus has ordered me to bring you before him tonight. I have ten thoughts, John Carter. You may take your choice from among them and I will accompany you to the nearest waterway that leads to Helium. Tars Tarkas may be a cruel green warrior, but he can be a friend as well. Come, we must start. And when you return, Tars Tarkas? I asked. The wild callots, possibly, or worse, he replied. Unless I should chance to have the opportunity I have so long waited of battling with Talhajus. We will stay, Tars Tarkas, and see Tal Hajus tonight. You shall not sacrifice yourself, and it may be tonight you may have the chance you want. He objected strenuously, saying that Tal Hajus often flew into wild fits of passion at the mere thought of the blow I had dealt him, and that if he ever laid hands upon me, I would be subjected to the most horrible tortures. While we were eating, I repeated to Tars Tarkas the story which Sola had told me that night upon the sea bottom during the march to Thark. He said but little, but the great muscles of his face worked in passion and agony at recollection of the horrors which had been heaped upon the only thing he had ever loved in his cold, cruel, terrible existence. He no longer demurred when I suggested that we go before Tal Hajus, only saying that he would like to speak to Sarkoja first. At his request, I accompanied him to her quarters, and the look of venomous hatred she cast upon me was almost adequate recompense for any future misfortunes his accidental return to Thark might bring me. Sarkoja, said Tars Tarkas. Forty years ago, you were instrumental in bringing about the torture and death of a woman named Gozava. I have just discovered that the warrior who loved that woman has learned of your part in the transaction. He may not kill you, Sarkoja. It is not our custom but there is nothing to prevent him from tying one end of a strap about your neck and the other end to a wild thoat, merely to test your fitness to survive and help perpetuate our race. Having heard that he would do this on the morrow, I thought it only right to warn you, for I am a just man. The River Is is but a short pilgrimage, Sarkoja. Come, John Carter. The next morning, Sarkoja was gone, nor was she ever seen after. In silence, we hastened to the Jeddak's palace, where we were immediately admitted to his presence. In fact, he could scarcely wait to see me, and was standing erect upon his platform, glowering at the entrance as I came in. Strap him to that pillar! He shrieked. We shall see who it is, dare strike the mighty Tal Hajus, heat the irons. With my own hands I shall burn the eyes from his head, that he may not pollute my person with his vile gaze. Chieftains of Thark, I cried, turning to the assembled council and ignoring Tal Hajus. I have been a chief among you, 
and today I have fought for Thark, shoulder to shoulder with your greatest warrior. You owe me at least a hearing. I have won that much today. You claim to be a just people. Silence! roared Talhajus. Gag the creature and bind him as I command. Justice, Talhajus, exclaimed Lorcas Talmau. Who are you to set aside the customs of ages among the Tharks? Yes, justice! echoed a dozen voices, and so, while Talhajus fumed and frothed, I continued. You are a brave people, and you love bravery. But where was your mighty Jeddak during the fight today? I did not see him in the thick of battle. He was not there. He rends defenseless women and little children in his lair. But how recently has one of you seen him fight with men? Why, even I, a midget beside him, felled him with a single blow of my fist. Is it of such that the Tharks fashion their Jeddaks? There stands beside me now a great Thark, a mighty warrior and a noble man. Chieftains, how sounds Tars Tarkas, Jeddak of Thark? A roar of deep-toned applause greeted this suggestion. A bow remains for this council to command, and Tal Hajis must prove his fitness to rule. Were he a brave man, he would invite Tars Tarkas to combat, for he does not love him, but Tal Hajis is afraid. Tal Hajis, your Jeddak is a coward. With my bare hands I could kill him, and he knows it. After I ceased, there was tense silence, as all eyes were riveted upon Tal Hajis. He did not speak or move, but the blotchy green of his countenance turned livid, and the froth froze upon his lips. Tal Hajus, said Lorcas Tarmel in a cold, hard voice. Never in my long life have I seen a Jeddak of the Thark so humiliated. There could be but one answer to this arraignment. We wait for it. And still, Tal Hajus stood as though petrified. Chieftains, continued Lorcas Tarmel. Shall the Jeddak, Tal Hajus, prove his fitness to rule over Tars Tarkas? There were twenty chieftains about the rostrum, and twenty swords flashed high in ascent. There was no alternative. That decree was final, and so Tal Hajus drew his longsword and advanced to meet Tars Tarkas. The combat was soon over, and with his foot upon the neck of the dead monster, Tars Tarkas became Jeddak among the Tharks. His first act was to make me a full-fledged chieftain with the rank I had won by my combats the first few weeks of my captivity among them. Seeking the favorable disposition of the warriors toward Tars Tarkas, as well as towards me, I grasped the opportunity to enlist him in my cause against Odanga. I told Tars Tarkas the story of my adventures, and in a few words had explained to him the thought I had in mind. John Carter has made a proposal, he said, addressing the council which meets with my sanction. I shall put it to you briefly. Dejah Thoris, the princess of Helium, who was our prisoner, is now held by the Jeddak of Zodanga, whose son she must wed to save her country from devastation at the hands of Zodangan forces. John Carter suggests that we rescue her and return her to Helium. The loot of Zodanga would be magnificent, and I have often thought that had we had an alliance with the people of Helium, we could obtain sufficient assurance of sustenance to permit us to increase the size and frequency of our hatchings, and thus become unquestionably supreme among the green men of all Barsoom. What say you? There was a chance to fight, an opportunity to loot, and they rose to the bait as speckled trout to a fly. For Tharks, they were wildly enthusiastic, 
and before another half hour had passed, twenty mounted messengers were speeding across dead sea bottoms to call the hordes together for the expedition. In three days we were on the march towards Odenga, one hundred thousand strong, as Tars Tarkas had been able to enlist the services of three smaller hordes on the promise of the great loot of Zodenga. At the head of the column I rode beside the great Thark, while at the heels of my mount trotted my beloved Wula. We traveled entirely by night, timing our marches so that we camped during the day at deserted cities where, even to the beasts, we were all kept indoors during the daylight hours. On the march, Tars Tarkas, through his remarkable ability and statesmanship, enlisted fifty thousand more warriors from various hordes, so that, ten days after we set out, we halted at midnight outside the great walled city of Zodanga, one hundred and fifty thousand strong. The fighting strength and efficiency of this horde of ferocious green monsters was equivalent to ten times the number of red men. Never in the history of Barsoom, Tars Targus told me, had such a force of green warriors marched to battle together. It was a monstrous task to keep even a semblance of harmony among them, and it was a marvel to me that he got them to the city without a mighty battle among themselves. But as we neared Zodanga, their personal quarrels were submerged by their greater hatred for the Redmen, and especially for the Zodangans, who had for years waged a ruthless campaign of extermination against the Green Men, directing special attention toward despoiling their incubators. Now that we were before Zodanga, the task of obtaining entry into the city devolved upon me and directing Tars Tarkas to hold his forces in two divisions out of earshot of the city, with each division opposite a large gateway, I took twenty dismounted warriors and approached one of the small gates that pierced the walls at short intervals. These gates have no regular guard, but are covered by sentries, who patrol the avenue that encircles the city, just within the walls, as our metropolitan police patrol their beats. The walls of Zodanga are seventy-five feet in height and fifty feet thick. They are built of enormous blocks of carborundum, and the task of entering the city seemed to my escort of green warriors an impossibility. The fellows who had been detailed to accompany me were of one of the smaller hordes, and therefore did not know me. Placing three of them with their faces to the wall and arms locked, I commanded two more to mount to their shoulders, and a sixth I ordered to climb upon the shoulders of the upper two. The head of the topmost warrior towered over forty feet from the ground. In this way, with ten warriors, I built a series of three steps from the ground to the shoulders of the topmost man. Then, starting from a short distance behind them, I ran swiftly up from one tier to the next, and with a final bound from the broad shoulders of the highest, I clutched the top of the great wall and quietly drew myself to its broad expanse. After me, I dragged six lengths of leather from an equal number of my warriors. These lengths we had previously fastened together, and passing one end to the topmost warrior, I lowered the other end cautiously over the opposite side of the wall toward the avenue below. No one was in sight, so, lowering myself to the end of my leather strap, I dropped the remaining thirty feet to the pavement below. I had learned from Kantos Khan the secret of opening these gates, and in another moment my twenty great fighting men stood within the doomed city of Zodanga. I found to my delight that I had entered at the lower boundary of the enormous palace grounds. The building itself showed in the distance a blaze of glorious light, and on the instant I determined to lead a detachment of warriors directly within the palace itself, while the balance of the great horde was attacking the barracks of the soldiery. Dispatching one of my men to Tars Tarkas for a detail of fifty Tharks with word of my intentions, I ordered ten warriors to capture and open one of the great gates, while with the nine remaining I took the other. We were to do our work quietly, no shots were to be fired, and no general advance made until I had reached the palace with my fifty Tharks. Our plans worked to perfection. 
The two sentries we met with were dispatched to their fathers upon the banks of the Lost Sea of Chorus, and the guards at both gates followed them in silence. Chapter 25 The Looting of Zodanga As the great gate where I stood swung open, my fifty Tharks, headed by Taj Tarkas himself, rode in upon their mighty thoats. I led them to the palace walls, which I negotiated easily without assistance. Once inside, however, the gate gave me considerable trouble, but I finally was rewarded by seeing it swing upon its huge hinges, and soon my fierce escort was riding across the gardens of the Jeddak of Zodanga. As we approached the palace, I could see through the great windows of the first floor into the brilliantly illuminated audience chamber of Thongkosis. The immense hall was crowded with nobles and their women, as though some important function was in progress. There was not a guard in sight without the palace, due, I presume, to the fact that the city and palace walls were considered impregnable, and so I came close and peered within. At one end of the chamber, upon massive golden thrones encrusted with diamonds, sat Thon Kosis and his consort, surrounded by officers and dignitaries of state. Before them stretched a broad aisle, lined on either side with soldiery. And, as I looked, there entered this aisle at the far end of the hall, the head of a procession, which advanced to the foot of the throne. First, there marched four officers of the Jeddak's guard, bearing a huge salver, on which reposed upon a cushion of scarlet silk a great golden chain with a collar and padlock at each end. Directly behind these officers came four others, carrying a similar salver which supported the magnificent ornaments of a prince and princess of the reigning house of Zodanga. At the foot of the throne, these two parties separated and halted, facing each other at opposite sides of the aisle. Then came more dignitaries, and the officers of the palace and of the army, and finally two figures entirely muffled in scarlet silk so that not a feature of either was discernible. These two stopped at the foot of the throne, facing Thonkosis. When the balance of the procession had entered and assumed their stations, Thonkosis addressed the couple standing before him. I could not hear his words, but presently two officers advanced and removed the scarlet robe from one of the figures, and I saw that Kantos Khan had failed in his mission, for it was Saab Thon, Prince of Zodanga, who stood revealed before me. Thonkosis now took a set of ornaments from one of the salvers and placed one of the collars of gold about his son's neck, springing the padlock fast. After a few more words addressed to Sabthan, he turned to the other figure, from which the officers now removed the enshrouding silks, disclosing to my now comprehending view Deja Thoris, Princess of Helium. The object of the ceremony was clear to me. In another moment, Deja Thoris would be joined forever to the Prince of Zodanga. It was an impressive and beautiful ceremony, I presume, but to me it seemed the most fiendish sight I had ever witnessed, and as the ornaments were adjusted upon her beautiful figure and her collar of gold swung open in the hands of Thonkosis, I raised my longsword above my head, and, with a heavy hilt, I shattered the glass of the great window and sprang into the midst of the astonished assemblage. With a bounce, I was on the steps of the platform beside Thonkosis, and as he stood riveted with surprise, I brought my longsword down upon the golden chain that would have bound Dejah Thoris to another. In an instant, all was confusion. A thousand drawn swords menaced me from every quarter, and Sabthon sprang upon me with a jeweled dagger he had drawn from his nuptial ornaments. I could have killed him as easily as I might have fly, but the age-old custom of Basum stayed my hand, and grasping his wrist as the dagger flew toward my heart, I held him as though in a vice with my longsword pointed at the far end of the hall. So Danga has fallen, I cried. Look! All eyes turned in the direction I had indicated, 
and there, forging through the portals of the entryway, rode Tars Tarkas and his fifty warriors on their great thoats. A cry of alarm and amazement broke from the assemblage, but no word of fear, and in a moment the soldiers and nobles of Zodanga were hurling themselves upon the advancing Tharks. Thrusting Sabthon headlong from the platform, I drew Dejathoris to my side. Behind the throne was a narrow doorway, and in this Thonkosis now stood facing me with drawn longsword. In an instant we were engaged, and I found no mean antagonist. As we circled upon the broad platform, I saw Sabthon rushing up the steps to aid his father, but as he raised his hand to strike, Dejathoris sprang before him, and then my sword found the spot that made Sabthon Jeddak of Zodanga. As his father rolled dead upon the floor, the new Jeddak tore himself free from Dejathoris's grasp, and again we faced each other. He was soon joined by a quarter of officers, and, with my back against the golden throne, I fought once again for Dejathoris. I was hard-pressed to defend myself, and yet not strike down Sabthon, and, with him, my last chance to win the woman I loved. My blade was swinging with the rapidity of lightning as I sought to parry the thrusts and cuts of my opponents. Two I had disarmed, and one was down, when several more rushed to the aid of their new ruler, and to avenge the death of the old. As they advanced, their cries were of, The woman! The woman! Strike her down! It is her plot! Kill her! Kill her! Calling to Dejothoris to get behind me, I worked my way toward the little doorway back of the throne, but the officers realized my intentions, and three of them sprang in behind me and blocked my chances of gaining a position where I could have defended Dejothoris against an army of swordsmen. The Thoks were having their hands full in the center of the room, and I began to realize that nothing short of a miracle could save Dejothoris and myself, when I saw Tars Tarkas surging through the crowd of pygmies that swarmed about him. With one swing of his mighty longsword, he laid a dozen corpses at his feet, and so he hewed a pathway before him until, in another moment, he stood upon the platform beside me, dealing death and destruction right and left. The bravery of the Zodangans was awe-inspiring. Not one attempted to escape, and when the fighting ceased, it was because only Tharks remained alive in the Great Hall, other than Dejah Thoris and myself. Sabthon lay dead beside his father, and the corpses of the flower of Zodangan nobility and chivalry covered the floor of the bloody shambles. My first thought when the battle was over was for Kantos Khan, and leaving Dejah Thoris in charge of Tars Tarkas, I took a dozen warriors and hastened to the dungeon beneath the palace. The jailers had all left to join the fighters in the throne room, so we searched the labyrinthine prison without opposition. I called Kantos Khan's name aloud in each new corridor and compartment, and finally, I was rewarded by hearing a faint response. Guided by the sound, we soon found him helpless in a dark recess. He was overjoyed at seeing me, and to know the meaning of the fight, faint echoes of which he had heard in his prison cell. He told me that the air patrol had captured him before he reached the high tower of the palace, so that he had not even seen Sabthon. We discovered that it would be futile to attempt to cut away the bars and chains which held him prisoner, so, at his suggestion, I returned to search the bodies on the floor above for keys to open the padlocks of his cell and of his chains. Fortunately, among the first I examined I found his jailer, and soon we had Kantos Khan with us in the throne room. The sounds of heavy firing, mingled with shouts and cries, came to us from the city streets, and Tars Tarkas hastened away to direct the fighting without. Kantos Khan accompanied him to act as guide, the green warriors commencing a thorough search of the palace for other Zodangans and for loot and Dejah Thoris and I were left alone. She had sunk into one of the golden thrones, and as I turned to her, she greeted me with a wan smile. "'Was there ever such a man?' she exclaimed. "'I know that Barsoom has never before seen your like. Can it be that all Earthmen are as you, 
alone, a stranger, hunted, threatened, persecuted. You have done in a few short months what in all the past ages of Barsoom no man has ever done. Joined together the wild hordes of the sea bottoms and brought them to fight as allies of the Red Martian people. The answer is easy, Dejah Thoris, I replied, smiling. It was not I who did it. It was love. Love for Dejah Thoris. A power that would work greater miracles than this you have seen. A pretty flush overspread her face, and she answered, You may say that now, John Carter, and I may listen, for I am free. And more still I have to say, ere it is again too late, I returned. I've done many strange things in my life, many things that wiser men would not have dared, but never in my wildest fancies have I dreamed of winning a Dejah Thoris for myself. For never had I dreamed that in all the universe dwelt such a woman as the Princess of Helium. That you are a princess does not abash me, but that you are you is enough to make me doubt my sanity as I ask you, my princess, to be mine. He does not need to be abashed who so well knew the answer to his plea before the plea were made, she replied, rising and placing her dear hands upon my shoulders, and so I took her in my arms and kissed her. And thus, in the midst of a city of wild conflict, filled with the alarms of war, with death and destruction reaping the terrible harvest around her, did Dejah Thoris, Princess of Helium, true daughter of Mars, the god of war, promise herself in marriage to John Carter, gentleman of Virginia. Ah, ain't that sweet. I've really enjoyed this book, but I gotta tell you, I'm super excited to get into whatever comes next, and uh, that all depends on you. So get in touch with me, and send me an email, anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com, or hit me up on Twitter, and Facebook, and Instagram, wherever you just want to contact me, and let me know what book do you want to hear next. That's uh, probably end up being the one we do, unless I don't hear from anybody, and then I'll end up just picking whatever book I want to do next. So if you want to have your voice heard, just get in touch with me, all the links are down in the show notes below. And very big news, I had made a request actually for some uh, reviews, which I haven't gotten in a while, and I wanted to give a huge shout out to the Doctor 2561 uh, Left a review on iTunes, five stars, which is as, as many as you can do, so that's, that's a good thing. Uh, just read it out to you really quick. Best podcast I've found so far. I didn't know this podcast existed till my cousin's book, which was H.L. Walsh's Of Men and Angels. If you want to check it that out, you should go back and, and look in the episodes for that one, Of Men and Angels. I did a little snippet of that. Anyway, he didn't know until the, uh, this podcast existed till my cousin's book was featured on this podcast. Since then, I've been listening to daily chapters and enjoy them. All right, so that is from the Doctor 2561 Thank you so much for leaving a review. It means so much. makes me so happy to see reviews like that. So if you want to hear your review read out on the podcast, all you got to do is click the link down in the show notes below to go to iTunes, leave a little review, and it just helps the podcast grow, helps more people find it. Really appreciate your support in that way. And yeah, I think that's all I got to say today. So thanks so much for listening today, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.